2: Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. My name is Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Just back from Indianapolis, where I got to experience the sights and the sounds and the drama and the intensity of all star <laughs> All Star weekend. It was good. I I will say this: Indy did fine. There's complaints about the weather, not as bad as New York. Just gonna say that not as bad as Toronto. It was fine. They did an okay job. They got hit with a weird snowstorm, but Indy did fine. Loved the celebration of basketball. That's the best part about the weekend is how it celebrates basketball. All the stuff that they do for fans is actually really cool. If you're a fan of basketball and you go to All-Star Weekend, you're going to find cool stuff to do. Just don't, what's the word? Uh, Go to any of the fucking NBA events because they're all a joke. Sorry. I love the NBA. I talk about the NBA 300 days of the year. Okay? More than that. Probably 340 days of the year. Maybe more than that. That said, like, all stars broken and done. I had a thread on Twitter in which I argued that they need to move it back into fall and actually do it before the season. Have a big celebration of basketball before the season and preseason when there's not an expectation of anything competitive, and then hold the IST in January or in early February after the NFL Conference Championships. Do it that following weekend during the Pro Bowl, and you have the IST and everyone can go out to Vegas and have this big weekend in Vegas. That would be great. If you did that, you could be like, hey, you get to go like this year. It'd be like, hey, you get to go to the IST, and then you can just stay a week or come back for, for the Super Bowl. That all makes more sense to me. The All-Star Game is dead. Congrats to Mac McClung for back-to-back dunk championships. Congrats to Jalen Brown for whatever it is that he did to convince the league to just put him in the final. Shout out to Jacob Toppin, who honestly deserved to be in that, in that final. His dunk one of the more underrated ones that we've seen. That was an incredibly difficult dunk that he completed that should have gotten him into the finals. That was bullshit. Congrats to Damian Lillard for once again fucking me over by hitting his starry shots. Once again, can't hit a three-pointer in the regular season, but he can hit these goddamn starry shots. I hate the starry shots. I want them to go away. I got Joe Dallara and Jim Turvey here. The future James, glad to have you guys with us. We're going to talk about NBA Futures today. In the Action Network app, which you can download right now, has all sorts of cool stuff that you can find. We all track our kind of stuff. Jim, are you with me that the tiebreaker out of the first round, instead of just advancing them to the finals, was the dumbest goddamn thing in the world and screwed betters incredibly? Because I think if you give Halle the rest of the way, I think Halliburton gets into, is live to win that thing.
0: Well, I saw some people pointing out that it was pretty funny to have a four way tiebreaker because we had to have three people in the final. Like this is all made up. It's all nonsense. Let's just roll it over and take two more seconds and have one more person compete in the final. None of it made any sense. The whole weekend was I usually kinda like roll my eyes at how much people hate on All Star Weekend. I thought this was probably the worst weekend in a while. I've actually thought about no on past ones. Yeah. I'm finally now here on the like that was Pathetic. The dunk contest was definitely the worst. The all-star game itself was among the worst in recent memory. I love the Steph versus Sabrina, and I hope that kind of sets up uh, something that they do in the future. I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, I think Reggie on the broadcast even brought up, you know, let's get this two-on-two next year at Dame and Caitlin Clark. That would be super cool. But yeah, the weekend as a whole was, it left a lot to be desired. And I'll say, if you followed, especially you know, some of our people who are really cooking here on the weekend at action, Joe, you found no, no on a hundred different things. It was it was amazing. So from that perspective, I didn't hate it there. But yeah, overall, it left a lot to be desired.
2: Joe killed it. Take a victory your lap. You, you absolutely slaughtered this weekend in, in terms of Saturday night. You did so well. Joe was telling me before the show that he actually had a bet on Carl anthony Towns to score the most points in the All-Star game. Not MVP! He takes the most points, the West loses, and he wins. Joe, take a lap, buddy. You did awesome.
1: It was just one of those dumb bets that, like, I wish I like logged for everybody, but like, I, it was kind of like uh, I'm shooting from the hip. I was like, this line's was really long, <laughs> like, I can score. And everybody was kind of giving him shit for like saying, like, ah, he doesn't belong on the team. Like, he's the worst one. Of course, he goes out and scores a 50 burger. So that was fun. And then, you know, the starry shots, like, I hate starry shots, but when we were getting plus odds on every player to make one plus, that was just, it was a no brainer. It was, we had five of the eight guys do it. So that was definitely like a really profitable spot. And, you know, Mac McClung dunk contest. So it was a good time. Like we had some fun there. I I wish Lori hit like literally any of his money ball rack. And we probably would be sitting with a lorry ticket too, but it was fun. Like, you know, I think you just have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt and there's a way to enjoy it. But it is a lesson though, that these lines are very, very tough for the books to set for the all-star yeah. game. So it's like, even if you don't really have a great feel on like an over and under, a lot of times, like you can find opportunities where you can bet both and guarantee money because there's plus money on each side or whatever. So these lines are soft and there's like huge discrepancies a lot of time because there's just a l- huge lack of information. Big
2: weekend for Dame after a, not an impressive regular season, just came in and absolutely killed it. So good on Dame for for winning a three-point contest and all-star game MVP as the East takes home the win in a score. I Look, I will watch Wizards and Hornets. I'm going to watch like Spurs versus Rockets. I'm going to watch like all this stuff and I really do love it. Like I love it. I will go back and spend hours just like breaking down like a random dude, all of his clips. I didn't watch the second of the All-Star game. Just going to tell you because there are better things to do with your time. Also, by the way, uh, my sympathies to number one Starry fan, Matt Mitchell, who did not bet on Damian Lillard to win because of the Starry shots and then douse himself in Starry. I did send him, there was a giant Starry court where if you made buckets, you actually got like cans or cases of starry and i sent him clips of that court so next year we'll have to get matt mitchell out to san francisco so he can compete in that contest all right uh let's get to business so the all-star break is over which means we've reached the halfway point of the season wait no that's not right we only have less than 30 games remaining this is the stretch run things are about to get fucking messy in the nba as a little bit of layout the next two weeks of basketball are gonna be awesome guys are rested they've spent you know, seven to 10 days completely off. Their bodies are going to feel much better. They're going to have gotten a mental break from the game. They're going to feel way better. And so we're going to get two weeks of really awesome basketball. And then March is going to come. And then you're going to have half the teams downshifting because they're like, we got to get healthy for the playoffs and we're just going to get through this next month. And then you're going to have like the other half base could be like, our season's over. Who cares? We're just, I'm here. So I don't get fined. March is very messy, but there's still a lot of stuff that we can bet live in season. And so, Based off of that, we do have some opportunities to bet some things. So we're going to talk about that on today's show. We're going to talk about regular season win totals. We're going to talk about division odds, and we're going to hit awards. We're not going to hit MVP, and we're not going to touch on playoff futures. You're going to be able to hear that on the Action Network podcast. It's just, if you're not a subscriber, you should be. Look for the Action Network podcast. It's me and Sean Little along with the guests. We're going to break that down a little bit later. That'll be on in your feeds on Tuesday is when you'll find that show. We'll hit title futures and all of that stuff, along with MVP. But we're going to hit the other awards today. We've got some good stuff for you here with the Future Jays. Let's start with some regular season win total stuff. We can start this kind of anywhere, but I want to go ahead and I want to start right off the bat with the Denver Nuggets and an underplay on them at 55 and a half, because I want to ask the both of you this question. The Nuggets at this number, essentially, I got them at 56 and a half when it first opened. <laughs> and I got that number first. I believe this number has value. I already have a large position. And like I've bet they're under several times through the season because every statistical indicator is like this team is does not profile from a point differential perspective, like a 56 win team plus. That's not what they look like. They have hit a huge slide. Like they're on a three-game losing streak, blowout losses to the Kings and the Bucks, and then blew a game at home before the all-star break. They're gonna be healthier. And that's a key here. This is more of a a lab question of, Jim, I'll start with you. If you already have a big position like me on something, but you're at an independent point in the season, I'm four or five months from when I I bet the original position. And in this moment, I still think that there's value on the under. Is it a good idea to be like, no, look, you, you find value right now still on the under it's okay to bet it again. Or is it one of those where you've already bet this number, you already have your position, you should leave it alone. Setting aside bankroll management, I more question like the strategy of if you have a position already versus this number and you feel like there's a value here, should you rebet it?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as always, the answer isn't a binary. It's a case by case basis. I think, you know, I have one that I'm gonna bring up later that is a team that I've been on under all season, and I'm gonna add to it. Nuggets are one that you have looked at all season and you feel that edge is there. I think you don't maybe double down. I don't think you put as much, but I don't see anything wrong with even if you already have a position, if you've reassessed and you look and you know you're you're still making this number to be too high, I really don't see anything wrong with adding to a position. You know, sometimes you can leverage previous positions to get like a pretty tasty middle, but in this case it hasn't moved enough for Denver to have that middle. And I don't think they've shown us enough to make it to the point where I'd want to go for an under with them. I personally am content sitting on what I have with Denver, but I also would not say if, if people out there or you, anyone looks at it, assesses it, says that they still see value on it. I don't see any reason not to add to it. I don't think just because you have a previous position means you should be scared out of betting it again if you still see value on it.
2: Joe, what do you think?
1: I don't hate buying in on positions even at like worse numbers because a lot of times I know you kind of make this comment a lot of times with the playoffs right and it's about like having more information or there's more certainty to your angle so I think a lot of times like when you buy into a position early you obviously have less certainty and then there's also more time that has to go from the time that you make the like let's call it an investment by the time you make the investment and the time that you're going to get the return or the potential return there's more time so especially at this point in terms of a win total, I don't mind laying portions of my bankroll on a bet that I've already made because there is a lot less time that it has to be sitting locked up and tied up into a bet. There's obviously the time value of money that I think is important to consider especially in like a futures context where you know if you're deploying your bankroll in particular ways right now it's like there's less variance in terms of like what the injuries that could happen or things like that like you there's less games and you know like it's like look this is the way that i'm modeling it and you know even if we look at basketball reference they do projections and they have the denver nuggets that are projected 52.5 wins for the rest of the season so i don't hate adding to a position especially now where you know you have a little bit more of an idea of like how this team has played and probably how they will continue to play for the rest of the season.
2: Two more general comments about this. So I pulled, we've win totals for all 30 teams. I looked at their win totals and then I've got my numbers and I've got the difference between them. And I've got the actual, like if you just take their win percentage and you apply it for 82 games, how many wins did they wind up then? And then I looked at the difference between them. Here's what's interesting. Okay. Let's forget my numbers for a second because you can, you can believe it or not believe in my process. But if you just take the regular season win performance right now, their winning percentage, and you cross it by 82 games, and then you subtract that from the win totals that are in the market, and you get that differential, and then you average the differences, it's a plus one. So what does that mean? That means that on average, these totals are one win higher than what they're projected to do right now, even though we're entering into a time when we're going to see more injuries, we're going to see more rest, we're going to see more strategic positioning, whether it's for draft capital or for seating position. If you're like, I don't want to be in the three seat. I want to be in the four. I want to stay out of that bracket for me. Like there's all of these ways in which my general point is unders are more valuable right now than overs because these numbers are also because it's so close. It's like, well, it's only one win, win, Matt. That inherently is wrong because that's got to assume that you're going to have roughly the same level of health that you're going to this season. Now, if we're talking about a team that's very injured and we'll get to that, that they have the potential to then outperform, then I think that maybe you're like, okay, their health might regress in this last month of the season, or it's already regressed and that's not reflected in the market. That's like an an approach that you can take. But in general, I would look for unders in this market first. And that's usually, that's a general and win total comment in most Sports, including especially the NFL, but in this moment in particular, what the market is telling me right now is they're like, oh yeah, like teams are going to be basically what they are, what they've been so far. These are not the same teams that we saw in November. There's a lot that's the same, but there's a lot of different changes here that can change these things and, and provide you with some value. Jim, give me a win total that you think really has value right now.
0: Yeah, I'm with you actually. I've got 3 of them we can run through them all eventually. My favorite of the bunch and I've been saying this since day 1. It's I'm going back to the well. The Suns under 48 and a half. They just lost Beal. Now he it sounds like it's not as serious an injury as some of the others and now he's getting, you know, 7-8 days off to rest it up. But they really have been very pedestrian missing any of these guys. They've been great with when their big 3 are around, but as soon as they don't have one of those big 3, They very much become like a 500 team if you look at adjusted net rating and things like that. They also have the hardest remaining schedule in the league by a fair amount. So they're going to be in that mix where they will be pushing for wins end of season. There's some other teams here that I, you know, part of the cap is that what's really going to be pushing them that that final week of the season. But they've also really struggled against top 10 teams in the league this season. So I, I think that remaining schedule being the hardest in the league for them is maybe a little bit more important than for some other teams. They have not looked great against the top tier of the league. By spread differential, they're, they're, I think they're like third or fourth worst in the league. So if Beal is out for any extended period of time, Durant and Booker both aren't you know the healthiest dudes around. The cap remains the same from the start of the season. That Night to night, when all three guys are healthy, I really like this team. But from a, from a zoomed out perspective, when they have to stay healthy over large periods of time, and especially against a really tough schedule, I suddenly don't like them. Most of the the projection systems, Dunton Threes and Basketball Reference, they both have them about two wins lower than this as well. And like you said, there is some baked in overs in here, so I am also looking towards unders in general. So Suns are probably my favorite of the three I have.
2: Forty eight and a half is the number that you're, you're you want to bet against. Is that yeah. accurate? Okay. I've also got them at 46 and a half, which is where yep. a lot of those projection systems have them too. Here's one element of pushback. I did look this up while you were giving the cap. So I looked at how are they when Katie and Booker play? Because that was really the difference in the early season is Book was out. And like, they were very inconsistent. And what that came out was they were 24 and 14 this season when Katie and Booker play. And that's a 51 win pace. And I was like, all right, so what happens if you take out Beal? Because that's significant because Beal is more injury prone than the other yep. two. Which by the way, credit to Kevin Durant for having an Achilles tear and still being at this age, he's very consistent. It's actually they're ten and six, which is still sixty-two point five percent. So there's two ways to look at this. One is Beal doesn't matter. As long as they got Katie and Book, they're fine. The counter there would be they were fine when they had Katie and Book, and Grayson Allen was playing like Ray Allen. That's like a big differential that has honestly been their season. Grayson has one of the best net ratings in the league differentials. The four-man lineup of KD, Book, Grayson, and Nurk is a fucking killer. Now, I have all sorts of questions about that in the playoffs, given Nurk's inability to stay on the floor and Grayson Allen's problems in playoff series, et cetera, et cetera. But from a regular season perspective, I think that that data is at least somewhat meaningful. But to your point, like I mentioned, what are the odds that KD and Book are going to stay healthy enough I'm not talking about a major injury. I'm just talking about like, look, we got three weeks of the playoffs. We're sitting in the five seat or whatever. He's got a bad ankle. Let's take a night off. And then your winning percentage decreases on that individual game. I think this might be one where you're sweating at the end. But I also, I I very much do not I guess I could see it. I don't think it's likely that you're going to be in a spot where it's like, oh, this was dead on April 1st. Like they hit, you know, 50 wins on April. No, they're at 48 on April 1st. That's I don't think that's going to happen. So I think there's probably like you're going to be in a spot where you might be able to hedge on the last night of the season, even if it doesn't come out. Would you agree it's close? Like, do you think the 46 and a half is accurate or do you think it's like even that you feel like is optimistic?
0: Yeah, I think even that is optimistic because they were ten and six in those games. But yeah, there were two big luck factors. A, they played the by far the softest schedule in the league when it was those two guys, which was great timing for them. Not great timing for us, who were were fading them a little bit. But even still, you know they're tracking below their opening win totals for the season. The other thing was that if you looked by adjusted net rating during that time. Even beyond the strength of schedule, they weren't blowing out those bad teams. They were kind of they got pretty lucky in a couple of close games. So by win loss, they definitely were able to you know float with those two guys. But if you look at the the net rating and if you look at the schedule, they were pretty lucky. And uh, you know maybe they can get lucky. They they have. Booker and Durant, who are two close game killers, like that is something that I think sometimes can get missed in, in projections. And it's teams like that that can slightly overperform. But I would have this just barely over 47, even accounting for those guys abilities in close games. So I, I if you're playing a midseason win total, it's probably not going to go in reality, it could potentially go a couple wins either direction. But if you look at kind of the 50th percentile, I think it's right around, you know, 47. So winning right. a half, for the the course of the rest of the season is actually a decent margin.
2: Fifteen away games to just twelve home games for Phoenix the rest of the way. So a tough slate of opponents. Yeah, with an away-heavy schedule as well. Joe, you got any thoughts on that before I get one from you?
1: No, I think that your inclination is right on both of them. The schedule's just brutal, and there's a lot of teams that I think are going to be actively trying. Like it's not just good teams that are you know maybe coasting. They're looking at some teams that are really fighting for a position, especially in the Western Conference. Joe, give me one that you've got on the slate. I still think that you can fade Miami a little bit. I just, I keep bringing them up, but their win total is at 46 and a half. Basketball reference has them projected still at They're coming in eighth with a 44 and 38 finishing record. Basically, when I look at Miami dealing with the number of injuries that they have, I don't think, especially now with Jacques Vaughn being fired, Chicago not really making any moves, when we look at the Eastern Conference standings in particular, right? Miami's in seventh right now. I think to get to a 46 and a half win total is a pretty big ask, especially when I think that just given what we've looked at with Miami, they just and I think that there's like some mumblings right but like Terry Rozier gets hurt again Jimmy Butler obviously is missing some time with some personal issues but at the end of the day Miami is a team that's not super focused on the regular season so asking them to win 17 more games through the rest of the season I think is a relatively tough ask Uh, so I think that if you didn't have a preseason position or even if you did we're still kind of looking at the preseason number the preseason number I think was 48 and a half it kind of got steamed down 47 and a half I think if you can get a 46 and a half and like an under i think that's still fine in large part because i don't think that they're super concerned about playing any of these teams honestly in the play-in tournament they're seventh right now the only really tough matchup in this range, right? Like they're close to the Indiana, they're close to Orlando. They're all relatively similar record wise, but they shouldn't fall out with Chicago, Atlanta, and then the Nets really behind them. So I don't think they're gonna fall out. And I think that they're in a good position to just kind of try to stay healthy going into the postseason. So I will say this,
2: this is a very good way in this, you're going to have this market for a few more days and eventually we'll see win totals drop off because it's no longer worth it for the books to have the exposure. This is a good way to fade Miami. This is better than taken. Don't get suckered in on the division. I would say do not take because right now at MGM, King of Sportsbooks, the Orlando Magic are plus 110 to win this division. And from a standing standpoint, you're going to look at this and you're going to go, look. wait, they're tied in the, in the loss column. The Magic have the easiest remaining schedule in terms of opponent, SOS they have the easiest remaining but Miami has the fourth easiest Miami has one more road game than home game and Miami has a 3-1 season series tiebreaker lock over Orlando and that's a lot honestly and if you're like they're tied though I get it that's a lot of factors that go in Miami's favor here like I want to bet Orlando to win the division they're fun they're fun and the Heat are the heat are, are soylent green. Like they're it's the book that you have to read in high school and you have to do a, a whole breakdown on it. They're the dust chapter in um, Grapes, uh, of Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> so that's what the Heat are. But but I also think that Grapes of Wrath is a great American novel. So it's very good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And so that's the that's the point here. Is like you could take the individual, I think, on this, because when we kind of look at the numbers, the number in the market to to kind of repeat it is there's a 46 and a half. They're currently on a 45-win pace. That's just win percentage. I've got them at projected at 44.6. So I like them even less, which is not surprising. Their numbers are never going to look really good on paper. I do think there's probably value on this. I'm not sure I want to get on it just because one of the problems I think that you might run into, Joe, is they're in that number range where there is a little bit added incentive. The difference between 49 and 48 is less than the difference between 46 and 45. 46 and 45 can be, hey, you're in the 10, and you're going to have to go on the road for 2 playing games. Or that could be the difference between 6 and 7, and you've got a playoff spot or you have to play in the playing game. So that difference is a little bit more meaningful, but I don't mind the play at all. Jim, do you have thoughts on Miami?
0: Yeah, actually, ironically, I am almost the opposite of you in that I would rather play the Orlando Division part of it because... Okay. Higher on Orlando, and I am worried a little bit about what you just said, which is that they will, both these teams will have motivation to win down the stretch. They both have very easy schedules, which you know means that they are playing these teams that are really going to hit the off switch down the very stretch around the season here, the Charlottes, the Wizards of the world. So I do like getting Orlando at plus money. Ideally, a little bit longer than plus 110. So I'm eyeing this, but i most likely staying away unless I could find Orlando in the division at like a plus 130, plus 135, something like that.
2: Hmm, That's interesting. If you get a plus 135, I get it. 110, I just don't think is very appetizing. Uh, I'm looking at Orlando right now on dunks and threes. They've got the 12th best win differential in season in terms of they've won more games than they should have. And Miami, Miami's actually third that range so this is two teams that have outperformed expectations to a certain degree i do think that orlando has slid a little bit like they're just having a hard they needed to make a trade for a point guard they really needed to pull off one of those deals to just boost a little bit of scoring because they keep running these games where like they're competitive and they just can't quite get over the hump because their offense stalls out for four or five possessions and then they're done all right i've got another one oh, let's do the clippers real quick i have a, at least a lean here towards the Los Angeles Clippers under actually. And I get to do this because I have appropriately built a large position on them for division and win total and champion. Like I've done, I, I got in on the Clippers way early. We've talked about in the show and I'm not just taking a victory lap here. I think it's really relevant, but the number is 55 and a half there. Look, they're at that number right now. So I, I get it, but there is a part of me that believes if you play your best basketball, in December, January, that's really good for your playoff hopes. I'm a believer in that, that you need to play your best basketball in December, January, because after that it gets really messy and it's hard to figure out if you're good or not. They did that. And so I think they're a legit title contender, but I also don't know that they're going to play their best basketball the rest of the way. They will probably want to get Kawhi some time off. He missed that adductor game. Now he played in the all-star game. So I'm expecting him to be back, you know, full swing going here out of the break, but I do have them slightly under based off of this number. And Look, they've done what the league has asked. The league basically made a bunch of rules that were not entirely, but definitely pointed in their direction in terms of, hey, you should play some fucking games sometimes, guys. And they've done that. Like, Kawhi's played a ton of back-to-backs. I want to give them credit for that. PG's played a ton. Harden's played a ton. I do think that for them, there will be a little bit of a down ramp. And this is a very high number at this point in the season versus a team like Boston where it's only over for me. They are going to win a bazillion games and they're going to keep the pedal down. And then I don't think they're going to going to rest guys. The Clippers, however, I think do have to be like, all right, we've done the thing. We've proven the thing. We'll play on the big Saturday night games whenever we've got them or the national TV games. But maybe we start gearing down a little bit in some of these spots. And I do think this is an opportunity to sell very high on the Clippers. Joe,
1: yeah. I mean, you can get yeah. their under at plus money, which I think is always nice. Like, especially in this yeah. circumstance where you're trying to hedge a little bit or, you know, try to build like a position. I do think that the Clippers are a little bit savvier in terms of what they can do, like organization wise. So if they feel like they're locked into the two, three and it doesn't matter, like I don't think that they give one crap about playing in Oklahoma City. They do not care if they have to go to Oklahoma City. I don't really think that he really care if they had to go on the road a little bit if they had to go to Minnesota in the second round. I do think though that there might be a little bit of jockeying about who they might play in the first round though because right now it's set up with the Pelicans are in 6th, the Mavericks are in 7th, the Kings are in 8th. I think if there's an opportunity where they could play like the Kings somehow kings move up i could totally see the clippers wanting to like get into a matchup like that where they don't have to travel very far and against a team that i think is a little bit overrated so i think that that's i guess my concern with the clippers but i think at the end of the day you're right i don't think that they're going to be in a rush to get to the one seed especially if they if that really sets up a second round matchup with denver i I don't i don't envision that that's circumstance that they really want to get themselves into i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly
2: This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Jim, hit me with another win total. We got to keep moving here. So I want you to hit me with another. For sure,
0: Bucks under fifty one and a half. This is another team that we have been on unders all season. You know, Doc has not been the. You know, they did. They had the dance. They were excited to have Doc in town, and it, it has not been pretty since. They've been three and seven with him. This is another team that has been lucky so far, and I think it's another team that, to a degree, you have. You know, Dame Lillard at the end of games. You have Giannis in big moments. That that does help you a little bit it means you probably a little bit outperform your net rating but i think they've gotten extra lucky they also have the third hardest remaining schedule and the opponent guard defense has just gotten comical if you have any sort of score it doesn't even have to be a good player just someone who can get buckets and is a guard they're gonna have a big big night 51 and a half you can get the under at plus money again i don't think this is a massive massive edge but i yeah. think this is one where i think you just that number's too big for me
2: you know, a lot of us were like, oh, they look a lot better. Their process is better. I know they lost, but their process is better. We did that for about four games and then we're like, uh-oh. So <laughs> look, I do think that they profile more to me as a buy low spot here. I don't know that 51 and a half, I, this is the opposite of where I'm at with Denver, where Denver, I think, looks better to other people than they do to somebody like me that's like watching them every single night and really diving in and like, have looked at their numbers and understands the dynamics of their bench particularly on the road and stuff like that versus the bucks to me, Brandon and I hit this the second they popped on the board at 55 and a half. Or 54 and a half is when they popped like back in August, hit it. Then preseason hit it again. We hit it first when it came out and then Dave got traded and went back up and then we hit it again and then preseason came and we hit it again and then I hit it again in season. So this is the opposite of the Denver one where I'm like, I have already bet against this team and this is part of it is like, I actually bet against a different team. Like I bet against the Adrian Griffin bucks. And ironically, the Adrian Griffin bucks were on pace to go way over. And now the correction of that, even though they were clearly flawed and probably like, there was a lot of problems there. They were getting wins. And now I feel like it's the opposite where the process is way better, but they're just not getting wins. If I get a 49 and a half, I will hit the over on this because that gives me a healthy four win hedge. It just gives me like a nice little bump here to be able to, with the information that I have, but I'm good at the 54 and a half. This is not one that I feel like I need
1: to bet into. Joe, I did want to get your thoughts on this one. Yeah. I don't know if I need to like get in there to get into this position. I just think that there's a little bit too much, like, wonkiness now too especially with the all-star break maybe there is an opportunity where doc can kind of start putting in like things that he wants to do seeing a little bit of like more focus after the all-star break towards the end of the season I, i think i i understand it but i don't know if i can get there even though like i think that fading milwaukee is like not like a bad idea overall all right so those are mine jim you've got one more i believe
0: Yeah, but actually, I'm curious. I wanted to talk this through with you because my last one was Celtics under 63 and a half, mostly because I did not see anyone pressing them down the stretch. But it sounds like you don't think that that really matters and that they will continue to run their guys out there and run bad teams off the court.
2: Yeah, so I I think here's the thing. I think you want to take an under here at this number with it being 63 and a half, which that is like an absurdly high number. Huge
0: number. And it's plus money on the under too, is the other
2: thing. You want to take it versus teams that are either clearly not interested in regular season achievement. You can actually kind of take it on teams if they're like, we really want to press for this because they'll burn themselves out. They'll basically blow a gasket trying to push too hard and then kind of realize like, we got to back off a little bit. Like this is, you know, if they get on a win streak or whatever. The thing about the Celtics is that they are not at the spot because of an incredible 10, 15 game winning streak. They're not here because of an incredible three point shooting performance. Like they were last year when I was like, this team was not that good. That's not the squad. This team has been great every single section of the season, not just wins point differential. They're the only team top five in in offense and defense. And for them, they have the ability to get wins when even they're not at their best. Like when Porzingis is out, it's like, Ooh, they really need Porzingis in a playoff series. They do not need Chris apps. Porzingis playing the fucking Hornets on a Tuesday. So they get caught the same way everybody gets caught. It's not that they're, they're not going to lose games. They're going to lose games. And this doesn't provide them with, like, a huge number of those to miss. But, like, I have them at 63.7. So I have this right on the dot. With what we talked about earlier with, like, aren't they going to rest guys? Yeah. Like, it's under or nothing at a number of 63 and a half, right? I'm not like, let's go bet the over at 63 and a half. But I do think that there is a world in which they rest Porzingis or Tatum or Brown or whoever, and they still get the 65, 67. Like this team is a fucking wagon and their approach is very, the wolves are in, we got to see how many games we can win. Let's see how good we can be. That's where the wolves are at. The Celtics are not there. The Celtics are just at, let's keep performing at a high level and showing championship habits so that we can be the best that we can be. Those are teams. I do not want to fade. So I can't disagree with you that 63 and a half is a really high number to try and hit. But I do think that I personally don't want any part of it, even if I would have to say like, yeah, the under juiced with plus money at that number is absolutely value. But they are enough of a machine and their gap is so significant when we look at like the strength of these teams. For me, it is the way that my projections have it. Like it's the Celtics and the Thunder and then like everyone else can figure their own shit out. Those are the two best teams in the league. Now that doesn't mean I'm betting the Thunder to win the title, right? This is entirely regular season, but that's kind of, that to me is what we've seen. and, And I have some bets on the Thunder and some other aspects, but that's kind of my thoughts on it. Joe, what do you think about the Celtics?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that stylistically, the big thing with Boston is that like they shoot a ton of threes, even though they don't—they're not like as high in the percentages that you would think that a team Uh like that kind of relies on three-pointers like that would be. So it's like even if their starters are missing, just stylistically, they can just out Matthew because their bench guys and like their depth guys are all really excellent three-point shooters. So it's like even if you do have a game where you're not seeing like a Tatum or a Brown or Porzingis, it's like okay, well Horford can shoot. Hauser can shoot. Pritchard can shoot. So I do think that you can kind of end up in that situation. I get the under. I think the under, I think it makes sense at a plus number, but it's not something that I'm looking to buy right now. Jim, what do you think about the feedback we're giving you there?
0: No, I, I think that makes perfect sense. I To me, it is a lean more than a the hammer spot. The hammer where it was Suns and then you know Bucks was a lean and uh, Celtics is a lean. I think I'll probably bet it for a little bit, but it's not a, not a full hammer.
2: I want to hit real quickly some division stuff just before we we hit on because we do have to get to some uh, award stuff too. Northwest division is pretty interesting. Nuggets are plus 325. The market finally got off of they're just like we're going to keep the Nuggets as favorites, don't care what's happening. They did that literally for like 4 months and then finally the Nuggets hit this skid and the books were like, "Okay, fine. Maybe the Nuggets aren't going to win the division." And that's honestly like it's still The difference in those three teams is Wolves are at 16 losses, Thunder at 17, and Nuggets now at 19. So this is one of the things I try and and tell because fans are like, look, they're only three games back. They can do this. I'm like, three games back when you're 500 is doable. Three games back with less than 30 to go when the other teams are winning 71% of their games actually is pretty difficult. Like, it can do it, but it's difficult. It can just change very quickly. So the Nuggets are plus 325. The Thunder are plus 190, the Wolves are plus 100. I still have the Thunder projected as a better team than the Wolves. I will say I have them both tied at 59 wins as a close. That's why I've got them projected to to finish with. By the way, we have some really high win totals. We don't get a lot of 55 and a half, so we're going to get a bunch of them this year. I do think there's a little bit of value on OKC, but here's the problem, and I said we're not going to talk about MVP, and we're not. If you think the Thunder are going to win the division at plus 190, you need to go ahead and just bet Shea Gillis-Alexander at MVP. And that is not just based out of my analysis. Like I asked a bunch of people this weekend that are either voters or voter adjacent. I'll put it that way of if the Thunder win the one seed, who's the MVP. And the answer was, I think it's Shay. So a lot on the line for betters here <laughs> with, with this spot. And that includes if you're like, well, what if the wolves win? If the wolves win, it's Jokic. Even if the Thunder finish above Nicola, it's probably
1: Nikola. You got to get the one. So that's fun for me to sweat over these remaining. I would say, Matt, with the division, considering like your thoughts on what the Clippers are, if you can get OKC at plus 325 to be the one seed, do you think that that's better than Shea MVP? Because you kind of do remove a little bit of that like variance with Jokic then. Yeah, that's the one probably MVP. the best I have a proxy.
0: I think this is the proxy division. I think if you like the Wolves, I think you should. And I'll, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Matt. You're you're very tapped into this, this kind of stuff. What do you think of betting Chris Finch for coach of the year? If Finch and Dagnall are going right up head to head to the final week and the Wolves finish ahead of the Thunder, is Finch a good proxy for Wolves division instead? Here's what's
2: interesting. So Dagnall's a favorite, right?
0: Yeah. And
2: yet the market's saying that the Wolves are going to finish number one.
0: That has confused me as well.
2: Right. I will say I do think that there's still a very big edge to Dagonal in part because of coaches in particular have talked about that team is so young and young coaches like coaches know how tough it is to get 19, 20 year olds to play winning basketball. And this is the youngest roster in the league. So versus like Chris Finch, who I think is not disliked by his coaching peers. Now, I want to be very clear. I think Chris Finch is like a great dude. He seems very humble to me. I talked to him over the weekend. And like, he's always come across me as a very genuine and, and pretty humble guy. Like He's like, I can't believe I'm here. Because like he was coaching in Belgium before Daryl Morey tapped him for the Vipers job. That's the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, by the way. Go look at their merch. It's absolutely phenomenal. G League teams are the best. So I, I think Finch is great. But I think you do need to be have a little bit of, of love from the, the coaches. And Finch, I think, is respected and liked. But I think there, there's a real appreciation of Dagonal and what he's accomplished. Because also, he gets all this credit for developing these guys multi-year, where it's like, took a team that was totally rebuilding and brought them all the way up. And That's so funny
0: to me, because I I almost see it as the opposite of like, uh, young teams, they are hard to coach, but there is like natural growth. Whereas I feel like getting a system together that has Ant and Gobert and Cat and Conley, Conley probably helps, but mixing those pieces together when they're like established guys is what to me, I would reward as a more impressive coaching job, especially if the Wolves finish on top. But I take your point well, and it it, it does scare me off using uh, Finch as a proxy for division there.
2: All right, let's go to some awards. Let's hit some award stuff. So let's start with the most improved market because we've seen some interesting movement in this as the Philadelphia 76ers have obviously plummeted. They have lost seven of their last 10. They're down to the five seed. They are only three games above the heat for the seven spot being in the play-in tournament. And so, kind of as a result of that, we've seen a little bit of movement from Maxi. He's now down to, at, at MGM, the king of sportsbooks, minus 190. Kobe White's up to plus 400. Alfred Changoon's fallen off. He's plus 750. Jonathan Kaminga's plus 800. Jalen Williams of the Thunder at 40 to 1. Scotty Barnes at 50 to 1. That number's preposterous, but it's a CLV sandwich. Jalen Johnson at 66 to 1. And Cam Thomas, 100 to 1. Jim, I know you've got some thoughts on this. Let's start there with how do you kind of react to the market starting to peel back a little bit on Tyrese Maxey?
0: I'm a little surprised more than anything else, especially the Kobe White push here does not really make a lot of sense to me. So Maxey in the game since Embiid went out, the Sixers themselves have not been outstanding. He missed one of those games as well, but he's averaging 26 points, four rebounds, 5.6 assists. The numbers are going to be there. They are going to hold on. They're not going to miss the playoffs entirely. I don't see how you make the case one-on-one for Kobe White over Tyrese Maxi. Now, Kaminga is a little bit more scary as someone who really would love to see this through here. Kaminga does scare me a little bit more, especially because I'm high on the Warriors to, to make a little run here, make a little push, and maybe even get into that top six and not have to be in the play-in. But I don't see why this push from Kobe White here. So I, I saw you're reacting there. So are you on Kobe White? Do you see this as a head-to-head that he can top Maxi?
2: No, so I have two independent thoughts here one I think Kobe White should win most improved player and two Tyrese Maxey is absolutely going to win most improved player voters are human and if you talk to them if I say the media quite honestly a lot of fans think it's Stephen A. Smith okay and uh, I know I want to be very clear on this You will change your mind about how good of a journalist Stephen A. Smith is if you see him work the room at All-Star Weekend because that dude works the room. All-Stars, stop what they're doing to change direction, come over and give him a hug. And you're like, oh, okay. And that changes your perception of him. Like, I got nothing but respect for Stephen A. My point here is that it's not people yelling and throwing out constant criticism and having really spicy hot takes on the morning shows. Some of those guys have votes, but for the most part, it's not. And what you do have is you do have like the vote is a weight. There's a reason that so many people are giving up their votes. It's a burden. And the reason I bring that up here is there will be a, I'm not going to dock Maxi because Joel got hurt. That's not his fault. Like Maxi's played great. Maxi's put up the numbers. Maxi was a first time all-star Maxi's the second best player on a team that was on pace to be second in the Eastern conference just because they fell. Of course they fell off when Joel got hurt. That's not Maxie's fault. um, and so uh, Maxey's going to win this award because he did enough before the injury. He got 40 games in that even if his numbers slide, it's not going to be enough. My problem here, and this is more of a the reason I, I mentioned Kobe, is it's more of a deal with like what you think about when you uh, assess this award. <laughs> Maxey was really good last year, and he got hurt. And I had a huge position on Maxey last year for most improved, and I'm very mad that now he's going to win it. Because one of the reasons I didn't bet it, because I was like, oh, he, his window was last year. Now everyone will realize that he was already this good, and they won't vote for him. No, no one was paying attention, apparently. Just, like, no one fucking paying attention to how good Tyrese Maxey was last year. Um, and so, like, the jump that Tyrese has made this year is mostly just, like, James Harden left, and he got the ball more. Now, I'm not saying Tyrese isn't better, because he's way better. He worked on his passing. Uh, he worked on his change of his change of speed stuff. Um, his performance has been absolutely phenomenal. Like, Tyrese Maxey is an all-star. He is an incredible young player. Kobe White was a guy that I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to be in the league in four years. And now I'm like, oh, wow. He is a legitimately really good point guard. Not just a good player, a good point guard, which is difficult in the NBA. He has learned to manage the offense. He has learned to make reads out of the pick and roll. He has learned to play on and off ball. His versatility is very important. And when he has played and Zach Levine has not, they have played at a rate that would have them solidly in the playoffs. So I think Kobe White is very much deserving, but this is a CLV sandwich, and you should absolutely be betting Tyrese Maxi at any number below 200 and even 200. I'm putting it in a parlay at a book. I'm going to be putting that in a parlay with Jokic because, how can I put this? I am over-leveraged to fuck on Shea Gillis-Alexander and didn't really realize it until this weekend, so I got to do that.
1: Joe, do you have thoughts on most improved? Yeah, so I think that a lot of what you said makes sense, especially with the fact that you know voters, I think, going into the season thought it was going to be Maxis, and then Maxi hasn't done anything to lose it. I will say, over the last 20 games, Kobe White is putting up Comparable numbers, if not better numbers than Maxi. Maxi's averaging twenty-five and a half, three point three rebounds, six point three assists. Kobe waits at twenty-three, five and a half rebounds and six point two assists. So the numbers are pretty identical. And honestly, I think part of it has to do with the fact that, like, if there is a little bit of resistance now, it's not that like they want to penalize him for Joel being hurt, but it's a little bit more of, well, hey, like, guess what? You're the number one option right now, and it's not going great on like a night-to-night basis because like you're the focus of those meetings. When they're game planning, it's not like, all right, we got to try to take Joel away and then we'll see what we can do to slow down Maxi a little bit. Now it's just like, hey, we're going to throw doubles and traps at you all game. Let Tobias Harris beat us. And that's really what's going on here. So I think that Maxi, especially if he can kind of learn from this and finish strong, I think that this actually is presenting him with an opportunity to really like nail down his case with like this type of focus on him from a defensive perspective, whenever they do play other teams.
2: I have a pop quiz for you. Who has had better numbers this season? Tyrese Maxi or Desmond Bain across the board? I think Desmond Bain.
1: It's probably Bane, yeah. <laughs> it's, Bane.
2: it's Bane, and you're like, well, yeah, but Maxi plays with Embiid. Okay, sure. But that's kind of the point here is like Embiid draws a lot of attention versus the Grizzlies have no one to draw attention except for Jaron Jackson. And Bane has put up 24 points, 24.4 to Maxi's 25.7. He's got beat in rebounds. He is behind him by only 1.3 in assists, which is crazy, given the Grizzlies are playing with like... Hustle dudes and Bane's got him in steals, blocks, field goal percentage, three point percentage, free throw percentage, effective field goal percentage, and BPM. Not that I'm mad that I had a big position on Desmond Bane at all. Let's talk coach of the year. We already kind of hit on it about how to bet this with the Thunder and those. Dagonal's one ninety five, Finch is two fifty, Bickerstaffs four hundred, Tyron lose five hundred, Missoula's sixteen to one, Carlisle sixteen to one, Tibbs is twenty five to one, Malone's fifty to one because he'll never win this award. Jamal Mosley fifty to one. So I do think that Dags should be the favorite again. Like I think the Thunder are going to get the one seed. So this all lines up for me and makes logical sense. If you don't, then Finch inherently has to have value. If you like, to Jim's point, I'll say this: There's no scenario in which The Wolves finish ahead of the Thunder, and there's not value on Chris Finch right now. Because if we get to the end of the season, and it's like the Wolves do finish with a better record, having a better record has to count against it, just a matter of how much you think the gap is. The books are basically saying Finch can finish above him, but he's got a veteran team with a multi-time defensive player of the year and Anthony Edwards. But here's what's interesting. Shea Alexander is number two for MVP. He has the second most valuable player in the league by the market. And yet what Mark Dagonal is doing is considered more impressive. That's like an interesting talent versus team makeup kind of thing here. I have some thoughts on the longer stuff, but Jim, I want to get your thoughts on coach of the year.
0: I won't run back too much of it because we did cover it earlier. I I think my biggest thing is I am higher on how the Wolves will finish the year than the Thunder. And so I do see a little bit of value on Finch strictly from a, you know, it's so hard sometimes to remove ourselves from these. Uh, You just went on that whole big thing on Colby White should be the one who wins it. It's very important to, you know, when we approach these, I'm seeing, Chris Finch should win this, but that's not what you're betting. You're betting who will win this. So based on what you said earlier, I think I'm fine sitting this market out right now. If I want to be on the Wolves or Fade the Thunder, I can find other ways to do it. I do think among the longer numbers, I'm not sure if if Missoula is the name that you'll throw out. He's the only name there that even vaguely intrigues me. But overall, I'm pretty okay sitting this market out right now.
2: From a logical standpoint, if we're going to play the logic game here, I do want to say, like, here's a fun logic game, okay? The Thunder have Shea Gillis-Alexander and have been almost entirely healthy. J.B. Bickerstaff has Donovan Mitchell, who is not on the MVP top five in the straw poll, and has missed Darius Garland and Evan Mobley for multiple months of the season, and yet are on pace for the Bucks not to win the division for the first time since 2018. And yet, J.B. Bickerstaff is a dog at four to one. Like, Jamie Biggerstaff has done the most here. He's done the most. I don't think he wins because I look at all these types of things. You're right on Missoula because I try and think about from a voting perspective, what's my blind spot? Because we're influenced by the markets. If the market tells us X is a favorite, a lot of the time we're like, there's got to be a reason for that. And I'll just tell you like, no, nope, that's not how this works. The voters can have an entirely different idea and the books are not polling the voters, I promise you. I would know about that. And so I feel confident I would know about that. They might have one or two that they, have, they they gather sources. They gather information. That's fine. But my point here is Missoula, look, if they don't give it to Dags and they don't give it to Finch, which I think would be a huge oversight given what those guys have accomplished. I keep bringing up the coaches. The coaches are going to elect their own. That's not this award. The sports writers determine this award that you can bet on. But the coaches are going to determine their own. But the bigger thing is that they get asked more for their input on who should win coach of the year then players get asked who should be the MVP because there's a lot more politics and money involved in MVP. And coaches are actually pretty honest about like, it should be this guy. He's been really great. I do think Dagonal has gotten a lot of respect for what he's done and how he can, like the bigger thing with OKC, Jim, honestly, that I would tell you, there is a perception of the way the Thunder play. They are a nightmare to play against. The Wolves are just as good of a team, but the Thunder are so well coached. In part, because of what you were kind of talked about, which is it's easier to get young guys to buy in versus like Anthony Edwards is going to do what Anthony Edwards does because it's Anthony Edwards. Like there's actually a challenge to getting talent to coordinate. I've said this for years. That's why Spoh should have won Coach of the Year back in the Heatles days. Joe, what are your thoughts on Coach of the Year?
1: I'm not super interested in the market. I think that the points about JB Bickerstaff, if I think it's just tough because he's going to have to overcome like what happened last year in the playoffs realistically. Mm-hmm. And I think that these markets tend to be sticky. So I do think that, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for Missoula if Boston just goes crazy. But I think like at that point, like I think I'd just rather bet them to like have like a win threshold, like a 65 plus or like something like that, because I still think that even then there's the opportunity where one of these other guys like, Dagnall or Finch could win so I'm comfortable sitting the market out I don't need an angle in this spot
2: let's go six man of the year we have a new favorite Malik Monk has finally overcome the Tim Hardaway Jr. reign of tyranny because Tim might win just because of the numbers that's fine but like no one's talking about like wow Tim Hardaway Jr. what a contributor he's just like a guy and he's started a bunch of games like Tim's good Tim's a good player but it's really weird. There's no narrative behind Sixth Man of the Year for Tim Hardaway Jr. Malik Monk is the new favorite, plus 100. THJ is plus 175. Norman Powell has moved up the ranks to plus 750. God, I wanted him to win last year. Karis LeVert is 20 to 1. Bogdanovich all the way down to 25 to 1 because people realize, oh, the Hawks suck. And Jordan Clarkson, sadly, as the Jazz go the other direction, 33 to 1. It was a brief shining moment. And then yet another example, Jim, of why I need to not bet these borderline 500 team award members because of it's such a razor's edge between they could skyrocket and go on a run or they could lose to the Warriors and Lakers at home and that's pretty much going to do it for them anyway what are your thoughts on six man of the year
0: yeah, this is the one that I'm really bummed about. I had Tim Hardaway at a nice long number. I never felt good about it. So I was looking at all the different spots and I just couldn't talk myself into Monk. But I'm here now. I hope it's not chasing. It's mostly just that I now see value in him. If, you, Like you said, I think he's plus 100. I think he should now be the heavy favorite. I'm going to add a touch. This is one of those. Sometimes you just got to write off an award as, you know, I had a good position. I'm going to make it so that I don't lose money on this market but I'm not going to have a a big, big number on it. Tim Hardaway Jr. since the trade deadline, it's only three games, so very small sample, but pretty notable. His minutes are down over five minutes a game. They weren't like for like guys that came in. I think it's more that they're just finally returning to health a little bit and there's just more players in the rotation as a whole. He's only scoring 7.7 points per game in those admittedly very small sample. Meanwhile, Monk this month is at 40 points, four rebounds, five assists that Kings team is still hanging around the playoffs. He's been a very key part of it, more to your point of, you know, actual impact-wise, who is doing their job off the bench. He's often out there closing games and getting late buckets for them. If you can get plus 100 on it, I I do think there is some value here. If you followed us the whole time, if you followed me and had Hardaway at a good number, I think we leverage this to make sure we don't lose money in this market. But don't go crazy chasing it down because there's still a couple months and, and this is such a weird award as well, so...
1: I struggle with this award because I don't think that Sacramento is as good as their record to me. Like I'm concerned about Sacramento falling deeper into the play in and Mm. then like, do I want to, plus 100 ticket on Malik Monk if I think you know maybe Dallas has like a slightly higher chance of like moving up that type of thing so this is a really tough market because I think that there's there really hasn't been a player in my mind that's really like separated themselves from the field so I do think that there seems to be some opportunity to like bet around it i don't really have any positions on this i had a chris paul position that's just dead now so like that's kind of like its own point but i feel like it's one of those awards that like i don't think you need to get into if you don't have a position already it's just this is an award where there's just been nobody that's really been like outstanding so it's like i have trouble picking anybody so this might be the opposite of what we talk about with like the the who should versus
2: who will this might be the opposite of that I refer to those guys as the Joe Ingles, Brandon Anderson award, because Brandon was like, Joe Ingles should win this. And I was like, but he's not going to. He's like, he should win this. He kept betting it. And then I'm like, he's not going to win it, man. And Brandon's got like a million of those on me. But that's like the thing I think of here. But I do think, look, if we if we accept that there's nobody who set themselves aside with the narrative, and there's nobody who's clearly ahead with the stats, they're all 16, 17, 15 points per game. It should kind of come down to who do you feel like has played the best? To me, that's Malik Monk. Yeah. And I think that most voters are going to be like, man, Malik's been awesome for them. Like I've, I remember so many games where he's come up huge for them yeah. and delivered down the stretch, and he's closed games. Versus like respectfully, Jim, no one is like. Remember how Tim Hardaway Jr. carried the Mavericks late in that game? No, yeah. right? And
0: about any of these guys, Norm Powell. I love Norm Powell, but can you remember like a Norm Powell carrying the Clippers down the stretch? I certainly no. Is.
2: He's more of like he's that guy that fills in and kind of completes a lot of those, those lineups and makes them like their minutes with him are really great. Like the minutes with Powell and the starters are awesome and they're better than the alternatives But a lot of that's honestly just like...
0: But but Monk is the guy who is the most memorable from this category. I think it's a very good point of if they're all even, it's like, well, who's just the best? And Monk, I think, has has had the best season, the most memorable of the
1: seasons. And he definitely has the most assists. Like, it's not even close. So, like, in terms of elevating the team and, like, points responsible for, he doesn't lead in points per game, but I guarantee you he leads in points that he's responsible for.
2: We'll wrap up with Clutch, but we want to hit on the other two markets. We uh, are all in agreement... There's no value on defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert is going to win it. He's a huge minus number. You can still bet it because it's, for me, it's like, it should be minus a thousand. But nobody's going to be like, oh yeah, I really want to bet minus 600, minus 700 on him. Victor Wamanyama is going to win Rookie of the Year. Uh, Chet Holmgren, I stand by the advice that we gave, which is bet whoever was a plus early in the season, because it was very borderline. But Chet's hit a bit of a rookie wall, and once Victor moved to full-time center and they gave him a point guard, he's been great, and he's been sensational, and he's been clearly the best player. The game versus the Raptors last week in particular was the best game I've seen hit from him this season and shows his potential in terms of he single-handedly destroyed that team. Victor Weminyama destroyed an NBA team as the number one guy for the entire duration of the game. And Chet Holmgren, as good as he is, doesn't do that because he's not asked to do that. And that's okay. Chet's going to finish second and be very deserving and very awesome. And he's going to go to the playoffs and Victor's not. But Victor Weminyama is absolutely going to win Rookie of the Year. Let's go to Clutch Player and close with that. So very quietly... Steph has kind of crept up here as they started to actually win games. And now he's starting to get like a real advantage in this market as the favorite to win clutch player of the year currently in the market. You will find Stephen Curry as the leader at minus 160. Shea Gillis Alexander is plus six hundred. Dame is seven to one. Luca is nineteen to one. Jalen Bronson is nineteen to one, and LeBron James is nineteen to one. Jim, what are your thoughts on clutch player of the year?
0: Yeah, this one is one that, you know, we've talked about how this is a weird award. It's a new award, but NBA First 3 on Twitter, if you follow him, he wrote a great piece for Action about a month ago, and he and I have been kind of working on this award. I wrote one earlier in the year, and he and I kind of collaborated on, on both of them, and he pegged Curry as the guy a month ago. So really hope you, you you found that at the time, because I do think he's running away with this. So, you know, if you define clutch points, NBA.com de- defines as game within five points under five minutes to go. He has 165 points in those situations. That's 57 more than any other player. That's been a really good proxy for this award in its short existence. That's 65 more than Dame, 78 more than Shea, who are the other two names at number two and three in the odds. He also has seven shots in the final five seconds to either tie or take the lead this season. That's pretty insane. In terms of actual game winners, you know, I think he's got one... Maybe two of those as well. And he's, it's big moments too. He really has been just popping up kind of all season as they play these really tight games. He's obviously their go to guy in those moments. That's part of it. He's the field goal attempts are through the roof. Because it's a weird award, you can shop it around a little bit. Minus 165 is pretty, pretty juicy. I saw like a minus 120 out there. I like that obviously a lot more because. This is a weird award. Big minus money for several months is a little bit scary. Um, but I think he's in a great, great position right now. And I would definitely take that minus 165 at maybe a little bit smaller amount. But if you can find, shop around minus 120 is really good.
2: Jim's analysis is spot on. Try and think about how are the voters going to vote for this award? Like, what are they going to look at? They're just going to pull up the clutch stat on it. <laughs> um, that's all they're going to do. Yeah. Now, there are better ways to do it. Like if we want to talk about shoulds, right? I just pulled up on StatHead, Finder and pulled up, Last two minutes, shots to tie or take the lead. Guess who leads? Not Steph Curry. It's Giannis Kumpo. He's got 14 of those this season. Steph has 12 in the final two minutes. But clutch time is the last five minutes. So it's like in the last five minutes, you're clutch. Is that really like the clutchest shots? I would argue it's probably the last two minutes when you're trying to get a lead to actually win the game. Because if you are making a bunch of shots between five and three, and then your team still loses the game, as the Warriors have done a lot this season, like they did when they blew the lead versus the Clippers the other night,
0: the problem with Giannis is he has Dame on his team, and everyone's going to think of Dame as the Dame. clutch player. Exactly. Which is why he was the heavy favorite for most of the season. You know,
2: and, and this is just shooting the breeze here, honestly. You know who's third? Mm-hmm. Only two behind stuff?
0: Michael Bridges?
2: Paolo Bancaro.
0: Wow, okay. Wow. Actually, an, NBA first three had him as one of the guys to keep an eye on as well. So
2: Paolo's been nails, there. and like, the Magic need those shots. Like they need those shots in clutch time. Uh, Devin Booker is actually fourth with nine tied with Anthony Davis and De'Aaron Fox last year's winner. Mikhail Bridges has slid to eight. Joe, do you have any final thoughts on clutch
1: player? I think Curry's just has been incredible. And given the fact that we think that Golden State has a decent chance to make the playoffs and kind of progress, I think that that really would help the argument as well. So I can't hate even laying the minus 160. He's got the name. He's got the pedigree. He's going to be somebody that voters want to award.
2: That's gonna do it for Buckets. Hope you guys enjoyed this. Make sure to check out the Action Network podcast. with Me and Sean Little will be breaking down title features as well as MVP stuff. You can check that out in the Action Network feed on Tuesday. You can follow Joe Delera and Jim Turvey in the Action Network app. Jim's at at TurvyBets. Joe's at Joe Delera. By the way, Joe, Andrew O'Connor Watts, who has a very complicated name, changed his to NBA Watts. Like he at least has like a handle that's not just his name. So whether it's Ladder Lara, something we got to do something about this
1: uh, not, to yeah, try and do the <laughs> There
2: you go. My thanks to our, our audio producers, Matt Mitchell and the crew, for getting this up on podcast form. You should leave us a five-star review. And my thanks to our video crew for getting us up on YouTube.com slash The Action Network. Appreciate you guys being with us. Probably off Tuesday, I might get us a, sh- a show on Wednesday. Just talk about something else. If not, we'll be back on Thursday with Best Bets for the show also also WNBA free agency went absolutely nuts last week and our own Jim Turvey alongside Maria Marino are going to have a special Wuckets episode for you this week. So I want you to go ahead and listen to that. There's gold in them dar Hills. Go check out Wuckets and find some value. These markets I'm telling you were soft. Get in on this analysis, find the value. You're going to find some stuff that you're going to want to bet before the WNBA season begins later in the spring. My thanks to everybody for joining us. We'll see you guys again next time. And until then,